Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast, produced by Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. I am Bob, who is, and I'm exactly one half of the Bob and Brad team. Today, I'm going to be joined by our guest, Dr. Anuja Matthew. She's a physical therapist uh, with a doctorate in physical therapy and a master's degree in physical therapy. She also is certified in orthopedics with an orthopedic clinical specialist certification. And that's earned by the by only 5% of the physical therapists across the country. Uh, she's also trained in women's health and pelvic floor. Uh, she's been in practice for 10 years. Um, she's kind of an expert on uh, women's health conditions such as urinary incontinence, pelvic pain, pubic symphysis dysfunction, diastasis recti, prenatal and postnatal rehabilitation. So we'll get into a lot of those subjects today. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Anuja Matthew. All right, Dr. Anuja. How do you pronounce your last name, Anuja? Matthew. Matthew, just like it looks yeah. like. So Dr. Yeah, sure. Anuja Matthew, uh, thank you so much for being on our program today. So thank we prepared you. some questions. Thought we'd mm -hmm. jump right into it. And uh, we gave your background already. So everybody knows of your impressive background. So. <laughs> Can... All right, let's jump right into it. Sure. You see a fair amount of uh, women with uh, who are pregnant? Yes, or... pregnant and postpartum. Um, gotcha. After their delivery as well, yes. Yeah. So do you see a lot of back pain? Actually, a lot of them. Uh, most of them would come in with back pain during pregnancy, um, some of them after pregnancy. And usually I've seen that most women will get back pain either during their pregnancy or after it's, sure, it makes depends. Sense. Yeah. So what, what would you say is the most common, you know, type of back pain you're seeing with pregnancy? So most women actually come in with the diagnosis of sciatic pain. Um, but when you evaluate them, I just, you, you know, that it's not sciatic pain. It's right. like a sharp shooting kind of pain that goes down your leg, but it is something that's called a pelvic girdle pain or an SI joint pain that kind of refers down to your buttocks, to your lateral thigh, sometimes also going down to your calf, but right. rarely, very rarely does it go down to your feet or your foot or the top of your foot. Um, that's the most common type of pain presentation that I see. Um, the other type is just general low back pain, mostly later into the pregnancy when the whole biomechanics of their body shifts. Um, your belly is growing bigger. There's more strain on your back. And that's just a general low back pain, which is not radiating um, to your leg. So the pregnancy so. makes it difficult. Tree, yes, right? you know, real yeah. challenges. Um, um, a lot of challenges, yes. Um, your body's growing, all the ligaments are relaxing, they're stretching right. out. Your muscles are stretching out, doesn't make it easy for your body to maintain the stability it needs to. Yeah, isn't the uh, hormone relaxing or something like that? It's actually, I know it's supposed to be relaxing, but yeah, yeah. it actually causes the most problems there, right? right. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of women actually, even before they get into their second trimester will experience low back pain or SI joint pain, just because of all these, um, ligaments stretching out sure. or just relaxing. Um, there's been some correlation where they say that if you have gluteus medius weakness, you might end up having low back pain because that's like the main stabilizer of your pelvis when you're walking sure. or standing. Um, in, medius, just for the lay person out there, it's a muscle on the side of your hip that yes. tends to stabilize the, well, the femur too, right? Um, yes. yes. So what, what else do you do for these people? I mean, well, for these women, um, what are some, can you describe some of the things you try with them or? Yeah. So most of it actually is a lot of postural correction, the way they sit, they stand. Uh, the way they're walking. Um, the other thing is uh, stabilization exercises. And most of them will get better with hip stabilization exercises. Even if they do it for a couple of weeks, they're, they're much better later on in the pregnancy as well. Nice. Um, 
And most of the exercises are safe to do during pregnancy and they're very comfortable. Most of them include stretches, some amount of glute stretches, hamstring stretches. Um, and the others will include strengthening of those glute muscles. Um, also then some introduction of your core stabilization or the awareness of your core muscles. Um, and most people do it wrong. They're just you know sucking in their belly, thinking that they're activating gotcha. their core. Um, so a lot of it is also integrated with breathing exercises or diaphragmatic breathing, um, along with relaxation techniques. Do you, do you recommend a belt or not? Um, an so, SI belt? So I do recommend an SI belt, but it, it depends. Like the evaluation is so important. The patient should have SI joint related symptoms. If it's someone with just a regular low back pain, which is located just in their lower back and radiating out in, in the lumbar area, they're sure. not gonna benefit um, from the belt really. Um, right. But if they do have a, a pain where it is on their buttock or where your sacrum is radiating out on your buttocks or your pelvic area in the front going down your thigh, if you give them the belt, you actually notice a difference immediately. Like you give them the belt, you make them walk, they should feel a difference, at least a reduction in the pain. Um, right. only it's, it's not only, something that you grow into. I mean, it, it yeah. helps right away. Yeah, yeah, it helps right away. And that, that's when you know that it's the pelvic stabilization that they need, um, which will help them with the pain. That being said, that's not the only go-to thing there. Um, you're not just going to go get a belt and wear that and you're fine. You still have to activate those muscles that are yeah. needed to stabilize your pelvis. So you mentioned the walking. What is it that people do wrong when they're walking that may cause the SI pain? So even when you're walking, your pelvis is rotating right and left, right? So it's going anterior. So it's rotating forward and backward as you take a step forward. Um, with relaxation of your ligaments, there's not a lot of movement that happens between your sacrum and your ilium or the pelvic bone that is there. Um, when your ligaments are relaxed, there could be a lot of movement that you don't want to happen. Sure. Um, and if these people have weak muscles in their pelvic floor or in their hip or their core, that movement is gonna cause a lot of pain. Sure. Um, not just with walking. In fact, most people notice it with stair climbing when their legs are actually going in opposite direction, getting in and out of a car, um, even turning in bed or getting out of bed will be painful just because of the amount of movement that happens at the pelvis and the sacrum that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, kind of a micro movement going on. Isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I was just watching a video by Stuart McGill. I don't know if you know he, who he is, but he wrote The Back Mechanic. He's kind of a renowned mm -hmm. back uh, expert. And he was talking about doing split squats with weight, mm -hmm. how they're finding yeah. that's causing SI problems. Yeah. The trying to do split squats without weight, but, but with weight, it actually brings on. Irritates. It, yeah, yeah, irritates and stretches out the SI just. Like you're kind of, so, I mean, some women too, just by sitting correctly, correct? I mean, if they kind of sit yes. on one side more. Leaning on one side, yeah. yes. Uh, even that could cause pain. Even just prolonged sitting um, sure. could cause that kind of pain. Yeah, it's a the problem of society. I mean, lots lots of walking, correct? I mean, yes, yes. Walking is always good. Even more than just walking, switching positions or changing positions. If you're standing for too long, sit down. If you're sitting for too long, stand up and walk. Good, good point. Um, yeah, so to avoid something that's sustained for a long time. A static time. position, you wanna yeah. avoid that, yeah. So um, with, the, um, with the belt, um, do you ever just squeeze on the ilium? To so it's usually... <laughs> Um, so it, the way it's worn is you stand up upright and it's worn right above your trochanter or yes. um, where you're, um, you feel your pelvic bone there. And it's very low. It's not on your belly. It's right below where your belly ends. Um, you stand with your feet together. You put it on. You're not really squeezing it tight. It has to be comfortable. 
you should be able to sit with it comfortably um, and you can take it off when you're sleeping at night, um, but you're supposed to wear it throughout the day. Gotcha, makes sense. Now, um, I, I'm assuming that you get to see the diagnosis of sciatica a lot because people think as soon as it's, this, the pain is spreading out that it's, it's sciatica. Is, yes. What do you think uh, is going on? Yeah, um, most of them, yes. Um, even people, they just come in and they say, oh, I think I have sciatica. Because right, the pain right. is going. Even if it's just in their buttock, it, it's sciatica for them. Exactly. Honestly, to say um, only 1% of pregnant patients with low small. back pain actually have sciatic pain. Um, and that could be related to something they even had before pregnancy, unless there's a real herniated disc there um, sure. that is causing the sciatic pain um, because of the change in your muscle strength and everything later on. Um, any other common pain that you see with pregnancy that you treat? Um, there, yes, so there's also a pubic symphysis dysfunction or the pubic bone pain. Uh, that I've seen in a few patients. Um, this, it depends on the onset of it. Some patients have had it even in the initial, like in the first trimester, but most of them will have it in, later on in the trimester when it's actually stretched out more. Um, and this pain is usually in the front of, it's right under your belly, it's on your pubic bone in the front. And it, it the could radiate- comes around and attaches right in the front. Yes. So it's right in the front. It could radiate into your groin area, into your inner thigh, or it could also radiate to your lower back. So that also could cause lower back pain for you. Um, and these patients, you know immediately that it's, it's a pubic symphysis pain. It's very specific. They'll say that they have pain when they stand on one leg or they're climbing stairs. It's like they feel like they're clicking or something moving. Um, that's another kind of pain that we see. Um, they'll feel, uh, feel the pain, uh, the clicking in the front. I mean, they, they yeah, kind of, front and also in the back. They also complain of clicking in the front or the back. Um, and they usually this pain will go away postpartum. Only a few women will actually have this pain even postpartum. Sure. Um, but for these kind of patients, um, yes, the stabilization works, but for them, it's also avoiding a lot of things. And if it gets really, really severe, then the only thing they can do is rest um, because it is that bad and it is that painful and severe. Um, so really stop I have, Yeah, um, I have seen a few patients with that kind of pain. Luckily, it hasn't been that severe that they had to go on complete rest. Um, the belt helps, um, all the stabilization exercises definitely help. Um, also, if you have a weak pelvic floor, that's one of the reasons why it could also cause it. So sure. helping with so your pelvic floor. We'll be talking a little bit about that later, yeah. but um, so you, you have them do the pelvic floor exercises and, and yeah, that often helps. Yes. Sure. But uh, does it, um, when you do the pelvic floor exercises, what length of time do you normally see? Does it take for to see some benefit? So during, um, during pregnancy, we're actually not looking to strengthen something a lot because everything is stretching out. Sure. Um, during pregnancy, you're just trying to maintain and prevent anything that could gotcha. happen later on. Sure. Um, so we're not, um, also when uh, we do get a pregnant patient, very rarely would we do an internal exam for them unless it is actually advised by their OBGYN. Um, so it's more to do with getting them an awareness of their pelvic floor, where it is. And during pregnancy, more than actually doing the strengthening, it's also important for them to relax it because um, that's what's gonna help them during labor. So if you're just doing strengthening and tightening and tightening and increasing the tone of the pelvic floor muscle gotcha. so much, yeah. and not relaxing it, then you're not helping it during your labor. Yeah, so hypertonicity, um, and yeah. the muscles get fired up and they won't relax and that pain, yeah. that's pain itself, so. 
Yes. So um, later on in the pregnancy, it's more about when you contract the muscle to feel the contraction, but more than that, to also feel it come back to the resting position or to feel it come back into a relaxed position where you feel it stretched out or relaxed and not just sure. contracting it. Um, you may mention this later or talk about this later, but do you use any biofeedback with people who have pain like this? Um, so I, in my clinic, don't use biofeedback at this moment. I used to initially uh, in my practice. Now I usually just use tactile feedback more gotcha. of their own um, awareness, um, which has actually helped um, more than biofeedback. I, I used, I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be using it. There are practitioners who use it very successfully. Um, but with me, I felt like I did better with the patient. The patients did better with more tactile, verbal, or their own awareness um, of all these things. Well, it makes sense to me it. because then you can bring it to your own home. I mean, you yes. Know, you continue yeah. anywhere and get feedback. So, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, that, yeah, excellent. So, I, I wonder if we could switch topics now and we could mm -hmm. start talking about the topic of diastasis recti. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Call diastasis recti or rectus? Or, <laughs> uh, I, I so it's, diast <laughs> it's diastasis rectus abdominis. That's the whole sure. diagnosis of it. But people also call it diastasis recti. Um, sure. Um, or DRA, or you know, most most women will call it the mommy tummy or the pooch that they gotcha. have gotcha. <laughs> um, postpartum. So they they might connect more to that. Well, so who can get it? I, I take it obviously pregnant women can get it. Uh, with, now, with believe women. it or not, I, I also have a few men that I treat who have diabetes. Yes. Um, um, they usually come in with low back pain, not knowing obviously that they have diastasis. And they usually, when I see them, excel, when I'm assessing them, I, I tell them that, yes, I, we assess and check for it and they have diastasis. A lot of um, heavyweight lifters um, or people who work out at the gym a lot, um, they Makes have that too. Right. Um, but coming back to uh, pregnant women, um, yeah, they are more prone to having it. I would say around maybe 60% of pregnant women will have diastasis just because, you know, your belly is stretching out so much, your muscles are stretching out so much. So the rectus that's joint in the middle, when your belly is growing, it just kind of the connective tissue that's there is just stretched out. Um, and that's, and that's, that's pretty much the definition. I mean, we, we didn't really provide yeah. a definition for those who, who are <laughs> listening or watching. Um, that would be, a, yeah. I know there's a test that pretty pretty common that you, you lie on. Um, the test is pretty common. It's very easy for anyone to do at home. And I do recommend most postpartum women to test this themselves. It's very important to know whether you have it or not. Just you know, to start with some exercises or precautions that you can take. Um, it's a very easy test. You lay down on your back, um, back is relaxed and flat. You bend your knees, you take three fingers, just like that, put it straight down on your belly button. And you're gonna check three, four different levels. So you can start up from above your belly button. You just keep your fingers down there. And all you do is lift your head and shoulder up a little bit of your shoulder. You're not doing a curl up. You're just lifting it up a little bit from the ground. If your fingers dip in, then you have diastasis. Um, it also depends on how many fingers dip in. Like sometimes you could just feel like one finger dipping gotcha. in. Sometimes all three would dip in. Sure. Um, all it means is how wide the opening is or the diastasis is. Gotcha. So, um... We, well, I'm going right down my questions here. Uh, and you said something about prevention. Can you, can you help prevent it? Um, not, I mean, if you're pregnant, there are very few things that you can do to really prevent it. But yes, uh, if you have good core strength or you're using good activation techniques, not just doing crunches, that's not just building your core strength. Um, actually using your, what we call the transversus abdominis muscle or the multifidus or, and the diaphragm 
um, all together, if you're able to activate that throughout your pregnancy, that could definitely help reduce the chances of getting diastasis. Um, the other thing that I do recommend, especially if you're an athlete or if you're working out, if you're a runner, um, to try kinesiotaping um, for the belly that's growing. Um, so it's, it's a simple technique. You can also find it online. Um, you just put two strips of the kinesiotape next to your belly button, starting from where you feel the starting of your belly till the end. And then you just go across horizontally with each oh, sure. in one direction, then the other, just kind of bringing it together. Um, and honestly, this can be done either during pregnancy when your belly is growing and even postpartum, it helps um, just to kind of keep it together, just or at least get the feedback to bring the sure. belly together. That's a fantastic, uh, uh, you know, again, yeah. not, not my area of expertise and, uh, that's very helpful. I, I, you know, it's one that's easy to apply, and uh, yeah, that tape and, can, and you can you can, can definitely do it yourself. Yeah, it's very yeah. easy. There's no positioning of any muscle required. Um, something you can practice at home by yourself. With with diastasis recti, is it is are there complications or health implications uh, of it? I mean. Uh, um, Yes, definitely. I mean, if it gets worse, if it's really bad, you could get a hernia or an umbilical hernia that you have. Um, these patients obviously then will require surgery because just um, treating them with physical therapy is not going to help. Um, the other symptoms that you would notice is low back pain. Most people come in with low back pain um, because your diastasis, your 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 muscles that are actually supporting your spine are, they don't have enough tension anymore. Oh, so when you stand, sure. when you stand, you walk, it's all going to strain your lower back. Um, so a lot of pain, people come in with low back pain and they have diastasis. Um, hernia is one. The other thing people notice is constipation, uh, indigestion. They, they, they feel bloating right after they eat. Um, basically, you know, all your organs are behind the right. muscle that's there. And it could, it could actually make it either push out when you're too full or your digestion is going to get affected because it's not moving the way it's supposed to because there's not enough tension there anymore. Makes complete sense. Um, yeah. you, your, your abdominals are kind of your natural uh, binder for your back. Yes. And if, yes. if you've got a cut in your binder, it's not going to provide <laughs> support. But it's interesting that you mentioned this now. I know a guy who I think had it, you know, and uh, <laughs> t-shirt even. And, and very yeah, well. a like, lot of men, they think they have a beer belly. Most of them probably have diastasis. Right, right. Yeah, it was um, the strangest thing I'd seen. So, so now, um, can you describe some of the exercises that you do like postpartum? Yes. Um, yes. So um, the first and foremost thing I should talk about is um, the main thing to control is the intra-abdominal pressure that's built up. Um, and the best thing to take care of this is to do diaphragmatic breathing or relaxation or the right technique of breathing, uh, which will avoid creating this increased intra-abdominal pressure, trying to push things out more. Um, so definitely start with diaphragmatic breathing. It's the easiest thing to do. Um, all you do is when you breathe in, you breathe in all the way in to your belly, feel the air go down to the bottom of your belly. And when you breathe out, you imagine breathing out or blowing out a candle. Like when you're doing that, you're actually also activating your transversus abdominis, which is one of your core stabilizers or your primary um, core muscle. So you can do this maybe once a day, maybe 10 or 15 repetitions. You don't go crazy with it. You're not doing it all day um, just because it's a relaxation technique. You're just doing it 10 to 15 times. Deep breath in through your nose, breathe out through your mouth like you're, breathing, like you're blowing out a candle or blowing into a balloon. Um, that's one of the things. I imagine um, what you're trying to prevent is someone who's more of a chest breather, they could yes. have abdominal tight all day. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. 
Also, uh, someone who's a chest breather doesn't have enough excursion of your diaphragm, right. um, which also causes a lot of abdominal tightness and wrong recruitment of your muscles, really, when you're breathing in and out. Um, the other thing that you mainly do for diastasis is a head lift uh, with bracing. So you're lying down in the similar position that you're testing your diastasis, you're flat on your back, right. you have your legs bent, your feet flat on the floor. Um, you can either use your hand to approximate the two belly of your diastasis or your rectus, or you could use a towel wrapped around your waist. So you're kind of pulling it almost like a corset or a binder that you make. You could pull it not too tight that you're actually strangling your belly, but just enough to approximate it. And then you do the same thing that you did for the testing. You lift your head up and a little bit of your shoulders up. And that's the most important exercise um, for your diastasis. You're bringing the two. Uh, you could do it 10 to 15 times each time holding for about three to five seconds. Make sure when you're doing this, you're not holding your breath because that's exactly the opposite way of what we're trying to do. Oh, here. sure. Um, holding your breath will just increase your intra-abdominal pressure more. So you're breathing out when you're coming up. And ideally, anyone could breathe out probably for five seconds. I would say just hold it there till you completely breathe out and then you go down, take a normal breath and then repeat it. So you could said you could do this with your hands too? You could. Yeah, um, at the clinic, I usually have patients just use their hands like at the belly, you just bring them together. You feel the muscle working, you feel the belly coming together, belly of the two rectus coming together. You can do it that way too. Um, the ideal way they say is to do it with the towel, but I really found that the patients respond well with them using their hands to bring it together. Just so then they're getting the, the feedback muscles. too. Yeah, right. yeah, and they can feel that muscle. The other thing with diastasis is we're not, um, we're not trying to close the gap. We're not trying to bring the two muscle belly together. All we're trying to do is increase the tension in the muscles. So when you have to use it, it's not loose and elastic. It gotcha. now has more tension in it. Makes so sense. along with yeah, so along with your rectus, you also need the muscles around it to have enough tension. So definitely add more core strengthening to it. Um, and also some of your oblique strengthening to it. Gotcha. Um, I would say if your diastasis is really bad, definitely see a PT, but at least start doing like the basic things that you could with breathing and the head lift technique. Do you do some side planks or um, do you have a go-to for? So um, if planks, uh, it's a good question. Uh, with planks, usually when you, you are pregnant and doing a full plank could actually put more strain on your belly. Yeah. Um, and could maybe worsen your diastasis. There's not, not enough research on that yet. So I cannot tell you for sure, but we do use a modified plank technique where you put your knees down and you go into a plank. Gotcha. Um, and going into a side plank, similar way you put, you start with your knees down and going in a side plank. Yeah. Postpartum, obviously your muscles are weak, so you don't want to jump in right into doing all the heavy stuff. So start That's with really, really basic stuff um, where you're just doing gentle core activation. You can slowly go to the modified side plank, modified plank, and then eventually progress to a full plank and a side plank. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, do you, do you feel, I mean, I don't know if you track this at all or not, but what's your rate of success uh, with the diastasis recti? I mean, so um, I know I said that we're not trying to close the gap, but I have right. seen patients, if they have like three finger distance, it, it has come down to two or one finger, sure. um, which is great, which to even get down to that is, is a lot, um, sure. but it also takes a lot, long time, a lot of dedication, a lot of homework, uh, from the patients as well. Um, and when I say long time, it could be anywhere from eight to 12 weeks or even beyond that. Um, that's so for any muscle. Sure. Yeah. You almost so, need a business-minded person to- Yeah, to, yes, to get to that. 
but I have seen good success and uh, good results. Is there, again, I'm sorry if this sounds really ignorant, but um, is there any soft tissue work you do on it as far as the scar tissue there or? Um, so not really working on uh, the diastasis that's stretched out, but uh, visceral mobilization really helps. Um, it's a soft tissue. Um, it's not a mobilization of your soft tissue, but your viscera um, that's in your abdomen. That helps um, also do some work on your obliques uh, and your psoas. Um, so release in that area more than releasing the scar tissue. The scar tissue release comes if you have uh, a C-section. Um, sure. Then you definitely work on that scar tissue and you release gotcha. that because that's going to have adhesions to your surrounding tissue. With the um, visceral adhesions, will, will that be a source of pain sometimes? Um, no, only because uh, only because your viscera is, is challenged so much with the diastases, um, as I said, with with all your organs pushing out and being there being in, increased intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so visceral mobilization could help with some of these patients. Also, if they have a um, an issue with constipation, um, so you can at least address that with the diastasis. Um, so not really um, working on the scar tissue of the diastasis, not something. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. So really found it surprising with the whole back pain issue, but it makes so much sense that that-, that <laughs> Yeah, like, most men they're uh, like, but I, how could I have diastasis? Yeah, that right. Was yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, well, now we're gonna switch to, to our final topic here, we do want to talk about urinary incontinence um, mm -hmm. during and after pregnancy. Um, mm -hmm. um, what do you? What kind of incidence do you see of that uh, or prevalence? Um, um, a lot, actually, um, and post honestly, postpartum a lot more. Um, during pregnancy, most women are told it's normal; you can feel it. Um, Honestly, it's more common than it is normal. Um, sure. If you have good pelvic floor strength, then you shouldn't be leaking anything. Um, even during if pregnancy. you are, even during pregnancy, yes, a lot of tissues are stretching out, it's pushing out. So you might have the increased urge, you might want to go to the bathroom more often. But if you are leaking out a lot of urine, then you need to work on your strengthening because this will get worse um, postpartum. Um, so that, that's the reason why I see more postpartum uh, stress incontinence um, more than prenatal or during pregnancy. Um, but it's, it starts like the education or the strengthening, it all starts during pregnancy in order to prevent it or reduce the chances. Got you. Um, so Kegels, you want to tell what Kegels are? Uh, that's the thing about Kegels. I mean, everyone wants to go to do Kegels, but um, it depends, all depends on the assessment, um, especially postpartum. You could have so much scar tissue, so much um, hypertonicity in your muscles that the weakness is just coming from the muscles being tight and not just weak because they're loose. Sure. Um, so it is important to address what is actually causing the incontinence. Yes, most of the times it is the walls, the, the pelvic floor that's weak that will cause the incontinence, but sometimes it's also the tightness of the pelvic floor. Um, so yes, Kegels is a great way <laughs> to address it, but not always the only way. Um, That's very go. important to know. Um, it, how do you assess tightness? Is that manually? Or? So, so it's not something you can do by yourself. Right. Uh, so usually pelvic floor um, physical therapy, almost like an OBGYN exam, only we sure. use our finger. We're not using any tools. So when we assess with our fingers, just to check for, it's like any other skeletal muscle. It will have trigger points. It's gonna gotcha. have myofascial tightness. It will be weak or, you know, in a, it could be in a tightened position. So usually when you check with your finger, you can tell whether it's tight or if it's held up in a tightened position or if it's in a normal relaxed position. 
Um, the other thing that we check then with the finger is, um, you know, the basic cue is if you can tighten around my finger, that would tell us the strength of the pelvic floor muscle that we're looking at. Sure. Um, what do you do for the tight muscles? Is that, is that the breathing and the... Uh, yes, so breathing is one of the things that the patients can do it by themselves. Um, for tight muscles, usually like we do for any tight muscles or for trigger points, is trigger point release um, or myofascial release, sustained stretching. Um, something you can do at home if you're comfortable, if you can reach with your finger is if this is your introitus or the opening of your vagina, then you can just with your finger, you're not going too deep, just maybe like half an inch. You're just doing, putting a sustained pressure at maybe a seven o'clock position or a five o'clock position or a 11 o'clock position, one o'clock position, just to kind of stretch it out. Um, and you're holding that stretch for anywhere between 30 seconds to a minute um, or a minute and a half. And what you're really trying to do is what you would do with any other muscle, you're trying to stretch it out. Um, and you can do the same, uh, there are different tools that you get these days. You could get use a pelvic wand. It's like a, a different shape wand. It, it is better to hold it so you don't have to you know, reach. It's easier right. to reach with that. If you're comfortable using that, you can use that. Um, and for some patients, we even uh, if they're really, really tight or if they also have pelvic pain, pain along with incontinence, you could start using a dilator, which comes in different sizes to maintain that sustained stretch. In your practice, can you give a, a general percentage of what, how many people are tight versus how many people I have stretched out or not don't have the support? Um, I can't tell you. So most people who come in with pelvic pain are usually the ones with tightness. Um, most people who come in with incontinence will have um, some kind of prolapse or some kind of weakness. And occasionally because they have um, tightness in their hip muscles or their core muscles, their pelvic floor is just held in tension because that's the only thing holding everything else then. Oh, sure. Um, so I've seen that in a lot of people, a lot of weakness around outside, like on the hip and the core, and that's causing more tension and incontinence because of that. Um, percentage wise, I would say, um, maybe less of the tightness. I can't, I can't give you a number right now, but, but so less it's fairly people, common though. Yes, it is fairly common and not just, um, for postpartum women, well, any women, in fact, a lot of athletes, um, have incontinence. Yes. Um, a lot of younger people, um, and as you start getting into your menopausal age, you, you start getting more incontinence issues as well. When someone's looking for a, a, a therapist to help them, what would they, who would they look for? What, what, what's the title they're looking for? And uh, So when they say, when you just say that prenatal posting, it's a very wide term. So they could be just doing exercises uh, with you, not really a pelvic floor evaluation and treatment. Right. So you want to look for pelvic floor therapist or someone who uh, treats pelvic health. Um, you want to make sure that they are doing the internal evaluation, examination, and treatment um, just to, to address your incontinence part of it. Um, if you're just going there for diastasis, you can go to anyone who has sure. done a prenatal, postnatal specialization. But for someone with incontinence or pelvic floor pain, um, you should definitely look for someone who has been doing pelvic floor treatment, not just um, prenatal, postnatal. Gotcha. Now, um, are there modalities that you use for this or is that typically no? Um, typically, no. Um, there are modalities you can use, especially for pelvic floor pain. Uh, they say you can use ultrasound. I honestly have never used it. Sure. Um, you can also use biofeedback, uh, EMG, and um, those things for if you have weakness or even tightness, it helps with the biofeedback just to see. Some people like seeing it. Some people like seeing that part right. or that it moving or, you know, the flower blooming, there are different softwares that you get 
Um, some people like that kind of feedback. So uh, if you're using those kind of machines, then it's a, it's a good feedback for them to know, yes, they're contracting. Yes, they're relaxing now. Um, well, I remember a million people. years ago, they used to use diatherms. Um, I don't yeah. know, a long time now, but it's <laughs> at the Mayo Clinic. So. Uh. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I lost you there for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, that was me. I was getting a call. So that's, I, I shocked you out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, so um, with the, um, if, with people of weakness, do you have um, cues that seem to work for them? Like, uh, you know, like what, what to feel when you're doing it correctly? Right. Uh, like a Kegel? Um, yeah, so ideally, I like them to place their hand on uh, their pubis or their vagina just to feel those muscles. Um, awareness is a big part of it. Um, so if you're feeling it, if you feel it move, you know that it's working. Um, the other thing I think um, most people respond to if we say like tighten your anus or um, if you're trying to uh, avoid gas from coming out. Um, that has worked because people have a better awareness of their anus than of the vagina. Um, it's, it, it's good to start with those cues. Um, the other cues they really respond to is the elevator um, uh, technique that they say. So imagine, your, <laughs> imagine your pelvic floor is an elevator. You're in that elevator. It's at level one. So when you tighten it, it's supposed to go to level two, three. So you're not just squeezing it you're pulling it up sure. and once you reach that level three it has to come back to level one again so you feel it going down to level one again um, it helps patients with tightness who are especially if they are tight we just give them cueing to contract the pelvic floor so they can reflexively relax it um, so the elevator method um, some patients respond to it but most patients will respond to tightening their anus now I had read that um, um, it's really not good to like you can picture like stopping the flow of urine, but it's not something you want people to do. Yeah, it's not. Also, it's very misunderstood. It's just a way of telling them that's what you're doing. But I've seen people right. end up actually holding their urine stream regularly, right. which is not something you're supposed to do. Uh, yeah. You're confusing the bladder uh, when you are uh, urinating. Your your pelvic floor is supposed to relax. Only then your bladder will contract. So if you contract while you're uh, letting the urine flow, you're confusing the bladder. You're actually causing a wrong behavioral pattern. Almost. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Um, uh, the other thing to remember when you're doing kegels, it's it's. Um, it's, it's like a secret, you know, you shouldn't, no one should be able to tell that you're doing it. So it's not like you're tightening your buttocks or you're squeezing your belly in and you're straining, you're making faces when you're doing it. You're, that means you're using all the wrong muscles. Um, when you're trying to do Kegels, you're just strengthening your pelvic floor. That's the only muscle that should contract. Um, yes, you will feel some activation in your transversus abdominis, but you're not really trying to suck in your belly with that. Um, so make sure. Interesting because I've seen people who have taken that approach and I've seen some yeah. people seem like they want the accessory muscles to help you. So Yes, um, and that is that uh, traditionally that has been a technique where if you are not able to activate the pelvic floor, you know, bring in the adductors or bring in the glute. And, right. But I've seen that most patients then end up just using those muscles and still have no awareness gotcha. of their pelvic floor. Um, so in fact, a lot of my sessions I spend time just making them aware of where their pelvic floor is, what needs to be done in a contraction, what they need to feel. Um, so in fact, the first few sessions is just bringing that awareness uh, for them. Because um, so many people are just using accessory muscles to do it. I don't know if this is practical or not, but I saw that it also the suggestion to take like a piece of toilet paper by your anus and see if you can. Uh, you out. could. Uh, it could help. Um, but most of these people have so much weakness, it would be more frustrating if they're not able to do it. Sure. Um, 
also the positioning of it like if you we usually have them start in lying down position with their legs relaxed that way all if you do have a prolapse that's causing the incontinence all the organs are settled back it's not pushing oh, into your vaginal sorry. wall so ideally the right um, position to start with maybe lying on your back or in a prone position on your on your stomach where all your organs are back into your abdominal canal and when you tighten it, then your, your um, pelvic floor muscles have a chance to contract fully. Um, and then progress to different positions where you're sitting, then integrate it with exercises and standing and so on and so forth. I've heard of the feedback to where they actually have you put your hand over the perineum, the area between. Yes. The, yes. That goes. Um, that's how you usually start because when you are contracting your pelvic floor muscle, you will feel it go away from your perineum. Um, uh, the other thing that, uh, uh, yeah, the, the other thing, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I like to do is a lot of patients have the birthing ball. Um, I, I, if you have them sit on the birthing ball, it's actually pushing up on their perineum. It's kind mm -hmm. of giving your feedback of pushing. So when you tighten your pelvic floor sitting on the the birthing ball you could feel it go up and then when you relax it you feel it come down uh, on that ball that's also a good uh feedback method that, uh, the, the perineum is between the vaginal opening and the anus just so people know anus is that would be the uh that birthing ball would that be i've seen um like optp they sell like a pelvic prop that you sit on is yeah that, yes it's similar to a birthing ball Yes, sure. it's a pelvic floor. It's it's a it's kind of a foam. It it's more yeah. rounder, so you can put it anywhere and sit on it. Um, but mo I've seen most patients um, they postnatally will have a birthing ball or they get a ball and they're like, "What do I do with it postpartum?" So uh, it's I don't know what a birthing ball is. That just shows you my ignorance. What what is this? Uh, it's a, it's basically a thera ball or a physio oh, ball that sure. we use gotcha. in, the, in the clinic. Um, that's all that that's is. All um, is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you just have them sit on that ball and have them do a kegel. It's it's a good feedback as well. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I I was showing my wife how to do kegels, and I I started doing them myself, and it helped my. <laughs> I was having some trouble with hemorrhoids, and it helped my hemorrhoids. <laughs> you know, it Definitely. Just, yeah. It provides. Um, there. I mean, I'm a big also, fan. Also. <laughs> Also relaxation. Um, I see also some patients with constipation um, that actually oh, yeah, respond exactly. well uh, to pelvic or physical therapy. They do much better uh, with constipation as well. Yeah, I just, I like you said, you can do them anytime and you can, I, I do them yeah. a lot of times when I'm just doing stretching prior to a run, I'll, I'll even do them. Yeah, so. yeah, you can do it anytime, anywhere, no one can tell. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, we talked about, is it Kegels? Would you expect it to be the length of time again for, to, before you get some results? Um, um, ideally eight to 12 weeks for any kind of muscle strengthening that's there, but I have seen results even sooner. Um, Cause some people it's just, uh, you know, there's uh, not enough coordination or awareness of where the muscle is or how to contract it. Um, some patients will respond even in three to four weeks and some patients it might take eight to 12 weeks. Um, That's what I see. But to, was it, I don't know if it was as much weakness as it was just knowing how to activate those muscles, but. Yes, so. yes. Yeah, um, so I, I would that. still give it eight to 12 weeks. Uh, don't sure. go crazy on trying to get results really fast. Uh, give yourself time and it will happen. Sure. Well, uh, Anusha, I don't even know if you want to mention this or not. Do you want to say where you practice and, and how it's? Um, yeah, sure. So um, our clinic is in downtown New York. Um, it's very close to the Staten Island Ferry. It's in the financial district. Um, and we see mostly uh, women's health patients and also orthopedic patients. Um, and it's closer to uh, Tribeca, Chelsea, that area in downtown Manhattan. Awesome. Yeah. So it's Anusha Matthew. You look for her <laughs> and... We'll 
<laughs> your client list there. So, <laughs> yes, uh, the official address I would say is One New York Plaza. Uh, very easy to remember. Wow, very nice. <laughs> so, how are things going with the uh, post pandemic there? Um, oh, it's been it's been hard um, with um, all the telehealth, and then because it's a financial district. It's been uh, slow because most of our patients were the people who came to work in the sure. offices. Uh, it's not a very uh, heavily residential area. So um, it's taken a hit, but we're, we're doing good with telehealth as well. Are you wearing up? Uh, are you having patients come in yet or, or not? Yeah, actually throughout the pandemic, um, uh, prenatal and postnatal patients were coming in. They, a lot of them uh, were comfortable coming in, in person um, sure. to uh, get therapy, then do the telehealth. Um, so yes, sir, we already have patients coming in. Were you wearing the mask and the shield? Yes, <laughs> the mask, the shield, the works and gloves and uh, uh, yeah. Awful, isn't it? <laughs> it was awful because it was so hard to talk and yeah, hard to up everything. Yeah, <laughs> my glasses. Breathe. <laughs> I know. Terrible. Luckily, I don't have glasses, but the shield, honestly, the shield right. also fall out. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So um, hopefully we're on yeah. the tail end of the, all this. So yes. Anything else you want me to add right now, Anusha? Or um, I think the only thing we missed about is the binder, using a binder oh, postpartum, yes. an That's abdominal binder. Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> I I thought about it and then I forgot. But I do suggest patients to wear a binder postpartum unless they've had a C-section, then uh, do not wear it. Um, and but that's not the only thing that's a go-to postpartum, but it's a good support that you would need, especially if you have diastasis, lifting your baby, carrying your baby, it would be a good support to start with. Um, so I do recommend using the binder at least for six weeks postpartum. And then yes, of course, start with your core strengthening and pelvic core strengthening. You get that approved by your physician first? I mean, would you want to run a body? Um, usually or? most patients would also have a belly wrap or a belly support that they use. I also recommend that uh, during pregnancy. You could just take out the straps and use the same um, gotcha. belly support as a binder. You're, it's not some. It's not like a lumbar belt that, uh, that, that you need a prescription for. It's something you can just buy online or you know, go to a drugstore and get it. Excellent. Um, but most patients, I have them use uh, the belly support that they were using during pregnancy postpartum. Sure, sure makes sense. Yeah. So good, good advice, good, uh, good tips here. Yeah. I, really, you're obviously very knowledgeable in your area of, of expertise. And I see you had a lot of uh, extra schooling. Uh, <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> Very impressive. So you ever want to be on the show again? Just let me know. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. It was great talking to you. Likewise. So thanks. Uh, we'll cut it off here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much.